This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today, we are busy. We have two reviews to do. We have the season four premiere of Star Trek Discovery, Kobayashi Maru. And then we have the Prodigy episode, Terra Firma. So what we're going to do this week because of the two shows is we are going to quickly go over some of the latest news on Discovery. Then we will be joined by the delightful Matt Wright, co-host of the Shuttle Pod, to review the episode of Discovery. And then we'll go into Prodigy. Before we start everything, I think we should kind of take a little moment because this is an historic week. It is. The last time that there were two new Star Trek shows on on the same day. Does, okay, who knows the date? No, I'm just kidding. Nobody knows the date. It's May 26th, 1999. That was the last time this happened. So that's the season five finale of Voyager Equinox, the one with yep. Captain Ransom. And then the episode right before the series finale of DS9. Yep. Yeah. Dogs of War. That that kind of final arc of DS9 was great, but it's kind of hard to say what happened in which episode because it was so heavily serialized at that point. It was all just one big story. A lot of big stuff happened in that episode. <laughs> but that's amazing. And to think that now we're, we have it again. Who would have, I never would have thought it. You know, we've been looking at this from the kind of website and podcast logistics thing that right. we kind of forget like, wow, this is a big deal. And, you know, I hope Star Trek fans are enjoying it as well. Although I think I'm not sure how many fans are watching both shows. I think a lot of adult fans may not be watching Prodigy because they may just see it as a kid's show. And I understand that. Well, they're missing out. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. Now, this is the only time it's going to happen this year, but it will happen. It looks like it's going to happen five more times in 2022 when the first five episodes of prodigy or the second five episodes of prodigy come out right so then it'll be something that we have to think about in terms of logistics but for now we can just enjoy it (laughs) so we should probably talk about star trek discovery and star trek prodigy sure let's move on to talk about the really only discovery news thing besides the premiere is the unfortunate news for international fans regarding um, the show literally just surprisingly leaving Netflix this week with Paramount, Viacom CBS announcing that they have essentially bought back the rights from Netflix to Discovery, who who were a co-producer of the show. If you watch the show anywhere in the world, it said a Netflix original series outside of North America, but they've essentially bought the show back and it's now going to be a Paramount Plus everywhere. Except that it hasn't launched yet everywhere. So that is the big snafu that's got fans very, very upset. Paramount Plus really isn't, is nowhere near as ubiquitous as Netflix around the world and won't be for many, many years. By the end of next year, they will basically be in North America, Latin America, and Europe, and Australia and New Zealand, but no Asia and no Africa that we know so far. And right now we have a lot of fans who were very excited about the season four premiere coming that they thought they were going to see on Friday. And now they found out not only are they not going to see it on Friday, they won't see it until next year. 
and the rest of the seasons of Discovery have also been pulled. This is one of those things that, yes, it makes sense corporately. If I was a shareholder of, Par- you know, Viacom, CBS, I could almost, you know, I could understand the logic of this. Perhaps it was really the timing, and yeah, this wasn't by design. Apparently, there were negotiations going on. We don't know the details of those. It feels to me like this was a last minute thing on, you know, that Viacom CBS want was negotiating something with Netflix and up to the last minute. And I think perhaps they exercised their option to buy the show back at the last minute because of whatever reasons the negotiations weren't working out and hence the last minute announcement, which just did not go over well. And the mainstream media noticed, I mean, places like the BBC were running articles about upset Star Trek fans and, you know, as well they should. We did, we ran one as well. The the, the cast was caught off guard. They all thought that it was going to premiere in Europe on Friday. So everybody was, was taken by surprise and everybody's upset about it. I mean, last weekend, a bunch of them were in London promoting the show. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. So you know, we didn't know this was all a big secret, but you know, we've been talking about how Viacom CBS is clawing back stuff to Paramount Plus. They'd already pulled some of the legacy shows back from uh, Netflix in the USA. So this is all part of a pattern. It's just the timing was bad. And it also brings up the question of what's going to happen with Lower Decks and Picard, which are on Amazon. Now, as of now, that hasn't changed, but... You know, we would have um, said that about Netflix two weeks ago. I, you know, I wouldn't say it's a guarantee that those shows are going to stay on Amazon forever. We will have more details on the launch of Paramount Plus in Europe, which is kind of the next big thing. It's complicated because it's depending on which country you're in. It's going to launch in a different way, um, and the timing is going to be different. We know that the UK is going to be first, um, and that's going to be fairly early in 2022, apparently. So. Stay tuned to TrekMovie.com. We will do everything we can to help inform fans about what's happening internationally. We may be based in the USA, but we know uh, about a third of our readers are outside of North America. So now we're going to discuss the season premiere of Star Trek Discovery Season 4. The episode is titled Kobayashi Maru, and joining us from the Shuttle Pod and TrekMovie.com editor, Welcome, Matt. Hello. How's it going, you guys? Nice to have you here, Matt. So let, let's just go around the horn, and why don't we start with our guests? To no, just pressure. Kind of just, <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Just high-level thoughts on what you thought of Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, I thought it was actually a pretty good start to the season. Um, I really liked the the way that opened with the butterfly people. Don't call them that, but, you know, the butterfly people. Um, I thought that was really a, a smart way to kind of get us back into things, you know, the state of uh, the uh, galaxy right now, you know, trying to get people back. And, you know, then, of course, I feel like this is always has to happen in a season opener, which is OK, is then there's got to be some really serious, crazy uh, action that happens, you know, uh, high stakes, because I feel like that happened in like season two. Also, like brother opened that way, you know, and so there's always some kind of high stakes thing that opens up. So the the uh, you know crazy anomaly and the space station that's being you know ripped apart. Well, actually, the spinning part was really cool. I thought that yeah. was really smart of them to do that. That it was knocked you know off its axis and just kept you know 
it's space, so it's just going to keep doing what it's doing. So um, I thought it was really, really cool. And the president was a, I wasn't sure what they were going to do with this character, but I was pleased that she kind of turned out to be a very interesting character already. I agree with, I mean, I'm, I was actually ticking off everything that I was going to say and then hearing Matt say it. Um, <laughs> Stole your thunder. <laughs> but I did, I loved the butterfly people who I will continue to call the butterfly people. I thought it was a great way to open because it was, it was very fun and it looked really cool. And it also was a great way to sort of establish where they are in terms of what their goals are, what they've been doing for the last little while. Like they really set it all up. And I liked the theme of sort of politics versus reality, which I mm-hmm. think is uh, an important thing to be talking about today. Yeah. Um, I also like the president a lot. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty effective as a, as a good opener hooked me right away. How about you, Tony? I agree with all of that, you know, as with anything written by, uh, this is written by Alex and Michelle or the co-show runners along with Jenny Lumet. It's always long on action. They try to tie in a big piece of Star Trek lore, which of course is the Kobayashi Maru. And we'll get into that later. There's always a few head scratchers in there. <laughs> and the, uh, this is really an episode about Michael. And the big thing for this season is Michael is captain now. And this, you know, is essentially she was taking a Kobayashi Maru test. That was what this episode was about. Right. Um, and I, I feel like it's testing her as a captain and setting something up for what I think is going to happen. And I'll, we'll get into this later, later in the season with her as captain. But I did like that they jumped forward. All the previous seasons kind of started like one second after um, the season finale previous this time. They gave us some time for them to all get new uniforms and you know, for the Federation to sort of settle into a new groove, although it's not fixed by any means. You know, so no, I, I liked it. I think it was a solid season opener. Uh, very much like season two, actually. Yes, um, very much. Very, very different than the season three opener, which was just kind of its own little character study of Michael and Book and a, a very different kind of thing. I think that was very good, but it was so different. Yeah, I mean, I was comparing it to the other season premieres, and I I put it right with season two. Actually, I thought I mean my favorite was season three. To me, I just thought that was an extraordinary television episode. I loved it. Um, and then season one, I thought was just sort of a misfire. Sorry. <laughs> well, but it's 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 not unlike the real season opener of season one, which was episode three which introduced the ship and they went off on a mission to deal with another ship, um, which is kind of like the space station thing. So there's similarities to what I always consider to be the real first episode. Yeah. Well, then if I'm comparing it to that, I would say this one to me was better because that setup had some fun stuff in it, but there were so many shifts and changes that some of the setup wasn't followed through on. And I think this season it's it's going to be more cohesive and they are going to follow through on everything they've set up. Like, I think you're right about the Kobayashi Maru, too. So let's go through, you know, kind of some of the story bits. You know, th- I did like the intros, Matt mentioned, with the Alchang, the don't call them the butterfly people, butterfly <laughs> people, um, because that really, you know, it's set up that, yes, Michael's now in charge. She's the captain. It even gave a reason for Book being there instead of just being her boyfriend, I guess, 
he you know she brings him along to do his empathy thing um although <laughs> so he's like deanna troy on these missions kind of that's why it's sort of nice by. i was like oh okay <laughs> because this is always kind of a weird question of book is just the captain's boyfriend like why is he there well you know he's he's a starfleet advisor i think it now officially or something yeah you know what i mean Right. He, he, the, bringing him into Starfleet, I don't think works, but I, I do feel like the character of Book really works in this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. And uh, especially at the end, and we haven't really got into that yet, but he, you know, what happens with his home planet is devastating and it sets up a whole new dynamic for the character this season, which I think is going to have a big, big, big impact. Yeah. On Book, for sure. Oh, yeah. And they brought back his brother. And his nephew, you know, the destruction of their home planet is, you know, just profound. Although it does solve, you know, we kept on talking yeah. about. I you know, know where you're going. <laughs> isn't that whole planet just full of people who control spore drives? You know, yeah, they, yeah. Because the president mentioned next generation or yep. words yep. spore drive, um, but they're going to need navigators, and uh, I don't know what they're going to do now. Yeah, now. they're they're, I mean, they're out of navigators. Then yeah, that's not good. Well, they, also, can al- they can always find one that was like visiting a planet or whatever. You know, there'll, there'll be a handful, but the, right, not they don't everybody have was endless, home at the time. Yeah, but they don't have yeah. sudden, you know, an endless supply of these empathic spore drive navigators. So the sh- the, the so the new Starfleet isn't going to suddenly have because nope. as soon as you have a thirty second century ship with a spore drive, the it's time to put the disco into a museum, right? It is an yeah, ancient ship. It's, it's been ancient. upgraded, but yeah. still, you know, get them, a, you know, you'd give them a new ship, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think, I mean, that's a, you know, I know we're going all over the place, but Matt, what do you think? Like, do you think they'll ever, the discovery is going to be part of the show to the bitter end. I feel. I, I assume. Yes. I agree. Well, so I have two thoughts on all of this. One is that I think it'll be there till the end, but then they'll, somehow they have to get it to Calypso at (laughs) some point, at which point they'll strip away all the new stuff. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but somehow they they'll probably get there. But I was also thinking if they're working on the next generation spore drive, then wouldn't you want Stamets working on it? Yes. That's a very, that's a very good question. And, and yeah, like one of the things that is, it's a subtle thing. It's hard to notice in this episode because there's so much going on, but Bryce, who's usually a bridge officer, was at, at Starfleet headquarters, and he said he is consulting on a ship called the Curry. Yep. And I was thinking, well, this must be one of the ships with one of these next-gen spore drives. But, you know, why him? But, I mean, was he in charge of the spore drive? I thought that no. was... um, It was it was Nilsson when it wasn't um, yeah. <clears throat> Arium, so no. He knows more about it than your average 32nd century person. Yeah, Stamets makes more sense, for sure, but you want Stamets on the Discovery because, you, you know... Yeah, he's needed for the big mystery, so... Well, yeah. that's one of the things about this show. Like, even when I'm really enjoying the characters and really enjoying the story, which for the most part I was, I still do get frustrated with the lack of definition of people's jobs and areas of expertise. And mm-hmm. this just comes up a lot. Yes, and again, I'm still liking the storytelling. It's not ruining it, but it's just there are these moments where you're like, why is that person doing this? And why isn't that person? And if you were trying to build a spore drive, you would want so the person who developed it. Right. 
Yeah. And this brings up the bigger issue. So in this episode, we all, I mean, the action sequence of the, uh, the space station, the spinning was beautifully rendered and the crisis, it was a, a kind of a nice new crisis. I loved that, you know, it was like the, the, the way the gravity was all goofy on the space station, but they had to explain like, why don't you beam everyone out? Why don't you send shuttles over, et cetera. And, and this all had to be explained that the, the, the transporters aren't working and, you know, you, you always need to have certain technologies fail to create the stakes in Star Trek. And therefore they had to, you know, have the captain call down to engineering and say, right. can't you fix this? And except that there is no engineering. There's Paul's, <laughs> you know, there's Stamets's spore lab has become engineering. I've even heard them refer to it as engineering. He yep. essentially magically becomes in charge of engineering. He's talking about Heisenberg compensators, yeah. you know, and running around. And it's like, it feels like that whole scene was written for Jet Reno, who couldn't be there because she didn't want to travel to Toronto. So they basically have for an episode, Stamets become chief engineer of the Discovery. Yeah. And, and I would say overall, like a lack of crew members helping that too exactly like that that's one of those things that i was thinking about is the whole okay so tignotaro isn't available where where is her like assistant engineer but i feel like we're we're jumping into nitpicking i mean it's not quite nitpicking but let's let's get into the story a little more true true that was all just a just good setup i think then you know we visit the the, the federation hq which was fun because it's got my favorite character, Admiral Vance. Well, you know what I like? What You know what was uh, I thought especially good about Vance was that now that he has his family with him, his demeanor has changed. Like he is just this, you can see it in him in in his small conversations. Like he's just yeah. a happier, more whole guy. Stressed. And I thought he did a really <laughs> nice job of playing that difference in character. Like the, because mm-hmm. they were, what they were trying to say too is the whole tone of the Federation and Starfleet has shifted. And I thought he was like a nice, tiny little sliver of an example of that, even though we also saw it in a bigger way. And Michael's a captain now. So although, you know, he's still her boss, he's the power level dynamic is a little bit different. So he could be a little bit more collegial with her, especially relative to the president, who's kind of in charge of everything. And we got the Starfleet Academy now exists on the space station, not on Earth like it used to be. And I think they established it hasn't been running for... 125 years, I think they said. Wow. That seems a little long, but wow. Okay, so Earth leaves the Federation, the Academy closes, and um, where they've been getting new officers... Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out. I was like, but it still exists. It's just smaller, so they need to still train officers. You know, there was something else that wasn't called Starfleet Academy to... Things were more makeshift back then when it was a little harder, I think. I did like the, um, I liked the students, the variety of the students, you know, the academy students, because they were like lots lots of of aliens, lots of different people. It wasn't, you know, what they used to do back in the day to show diversity was it was like a whole bunch of white guys and then maybe two women and then maybe a couple of non-white guys. And this was just a lovely mix of all kinds of different things. Different species. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. That's good. And the speech Michael gave was nice. It wasn't too, because. Yeah. You know, it <laughs> I was nervous you know, when she started. <laughs> right. Because sometimes they, they go a little over the top with these speeches and especially with the music. This was just kind of the right tone. And, you know, she is a hero of the Federation because she did find all that dilithium and um, she did save the galaxy at least a couple times before. 
Yeah, it made sense that she was there to give the speech, and her speech was short and good. Yeah, and the president thanked the whole crew, which brings up, you know, a general issue for this episode, I feel, is they are making this bridge crew feel like more than glorified extras, finally. Yep. Or not finally. I mean, they've been getting better at this every season, and they're just, they continue to get better at it. There's this great rapport between Owo and Detmer. We've seen some of that before. We're seeing members of the bridge crew come up with solutions to things, um, you know, because the captain really is, is you know, is a manager at picking and choosing ideas that, that have to come to her. She can't be coming up with every solution. So right. we need the bridge crew to be giving her options. And I like that. Yeah, I agree. I also liked seeing uh, Reese in the captain's chair. Yeah. Which raises another question, but... Um, yeah. You know, is Reese the first officer? We all, I assume we all think that Saru is going to come back and be the first officer. Yeah. But who is the first officer? Because it's been five months. So is it Reese? Question. It has to be Reese because everybody else was there. Seems like it if that's who she put there. Yeah. It could be rotating. Who knows? Uh, because you can't have t- a rotating first officer. Because <laughs> T- no. Tilly said she's a lieutenant now. Everyone else is a lieutenant commander now. Like the the whole bridge. Yeah, crew it's crazy. The commanders. whole bridge crew. Like, yeah, yeah. It makes sense for one of them to be first officer, probably. Um, at this point, maybe it is Reese. So one thing, I mean, it's a minor thing I notice is uh, when Michael uh, decides to leave the ship in the middle of the crisis, uh, she didn't put anyone in command. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Say, you know, Lieutenant Reese, you've got the con or whatever. You have the con. I was waiting for that and yet yeah, didn't happen. And it was that that would have told choice. us who's the first officer, whoever was, she chose. It was an odd choice for her to leave, too. Uh, yeah. I mean, the president <laughs> rightly calls her out for that. that well, just, you know, I mean, it annoyed me at the time, but I think that's kind of the point. So I'm going to use yes, one of I my phrases that I often use. I think they are hanging a lantern on the fact that Michael deserved to be captain because she's a hero of the Federation and she saved the galaxy and she found the Dilithia planet, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, make her a captain, give her command of the ship. But this episode is kind of saying, okay, all that's great, but she's got a Messiah complex, right? Mm-hmm. She's oh, yeah. got, she's got issues and the president, right. Everything the president said was Right. She, you know, yeah, she's a politician. She's a little swarmy, as politicians are. But yeah, she nailed Michael. She said she's not ready to take on one of these new cool ships. And you know, she's going to get everyone killed if she doesn't learn the lessons of the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, the pendulum swing thing was a good metaphor, I thought. Oh, the wrecking yeah. ball. I thought that was, I'm using yeah. that in the future. Yeah. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. One of the knocks on the show is that Michael is this perfect being. You know, like the season two opener where she's just essentially, you know, superwoman doing everything. And there is no reason why she shouldn't. Detmer said someone should use a worker bee. Detmer is this kick-ass pilot. We saw her piloting book ship in season two or three. There's no reason yeah. for, for, for the captain to leave the ship. Even if she's like 10% better than Detmer, you still need a captain on the ship. Yeah. So, you know, so. And by the way, that would actually be what a real first officer would step in and say. Yes. That yes. goes back to that whole, we don't really know who the first officer is because someone should say, no, Captain, your place is here. You send right. Detmer. Like, that's, I mean, the president said that, but we don't have somebody that she trusts saying that, and there should have been. 
Right. If Saru were there. Saru, yeah, he would have said it. But I, I, I think that what we're setting up here for Michael is at some point this season, she needs to face the same test that Deanna Troy had to face in that simulation when she became a, a commander. She's going to need to let someone die. I think someone's going to die this season, someone important. And Michael's yep. going to have to let it happen. Yep. Yeah, that seems that seems like reasonable. <laughs> yeah. She just got lucky this episode. They should have died. And that's what the, the president was saying. Well, so here's what I'm going to say that's going to be controversial. Are you ready? I think there's a lot of Kirk and Michael. And I think Kirk made a lot of similar decisions, which was that he would risk a lot. He would risk a lot of people for a few people when he felt like it was really important. And I think that's also why they brought up the Kobayashi Maru, which is intimately tied in with like Kirk mythology. Mm -hmm. So I, I, and I also think in some ways, like when she and book were running around doing their thing, it was a little Kirk and McCoy-ish with where McCoy's like, are you crazy? What are you doing? And, and she's all, and she's all confident and smiley the way Kirk, like I just watched Star Trek six last night, actually rewatched it and there's so many times where kirk's just like confident and holding on to stuff and being very casual and fun the way that michael is really yeah. you know McCoy what else is the... going nuts about all the danger <laughs> and what the hell are you doing yeah yeah that whole opening um with the not butterfly people <laughs> reminded me uh i'm gonna say something that uh, speaking of controversial um reminded me of the opening scene of into darkness which also is a kirk and mccoy running around thing which I actually like that opening scene. Into Darkness is highly controversial, but I like that opening bit. And I don't think that's like I don't think that's bad. I think that's okay that it reminded me of that. Like yeah. that's the, the I think that's great. Like it's the whole like you said it's that same dynamic of kind of running from the natives and you know. Right. And the way that that she was being like funny and calm and cool about it, but also thinking, like figuring out what's going on. Yeah. Where he's just like, "Let's get the hell out of here." Yeah, Are he's you like, crazy? "This is this is blown." Like, let's get out. Yeah, yeah. And the and the solution was very Star Trek, and it I love be, that solution. Yeah, because it, it Tilly had to come up with the idea, and then they had to fix the satellites. It was it was great. You, you wonder, like, are the butterfly people? I know we keep on calling them that. Are they going to come back later in the season and help save the day? Hopefully, you know that. You know, as we put the federation back together again maybe this is something that we're going to get a nice callback for later right on. they're making friends who are going to come in handy later and i did really like that guy the emperor guy in particular oh i mean i love that they speaking of that yeah that whole thing where um they start out having to explain their idioms right and then they sort of forget that calling something someone a queen is also an idiom and then they're like oh my god you have the queen of the species like <laughs> kidnapped you know on your ship like free the queen and it's like yeah this is what happens when you say these things to people who don't understand like well also <laughs> did you notice at the end when they pulled away in book ship the way he was just petting grudge and giving yeah. them this look like this is yeah. grudge this is the yeah queen. this is grudge don't worry <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was but it was a, another good reminder that because we're, you know, we're so, you know, there's 790 episodes of Star Trek that have taught us that the Federation is a wonderful thing that everyone loves and everyone's together. You know, th- that's just not the case in this 32nd century. The Federation is kind of, you know, for a lot of people considered, yeah, you know, a, a, you know, a distant parent or 
backstabbers by some, you know, there's a yeah. lot, they, they've lost a lot of faith in the galaxy and that hasn't been fixed. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me is I actually started to see sort of, you know, broad, but like broad parallels between this. It's totally unintentional, but just, it's just, just interesting between this and the first few episodes of prodigy, because like the universe is a lot larger right now. And that's very true for these kids in prodigy. Like the universe is huge for them. Right. Like, and, but I also thought the whole trust thing was really a common theme. Like Dal says the federation is just more people to tell you what to do in a different way. And of course, like that's basically what these, you know, the butterfly people are like, why the hell would we trust what you have to say? You know, like, right. You just want to take our tech. They thought they wanted to come and use their resources. There's strings attached to everything. And that's, of course, that's what Dal thinks too. He thinks there's strings attached to any kind of offer of anything. And so I was just like, Oh, that's kind of fun that they're actually like on the air, on the air streaming at the same time. It's kind of fun to like have that. You know, and another side to this is so there's a new character introduced in this episode, Commander Nellis on the space station. Mm-hmm. He, in a way, he he was a bit unhinged. You know, he was he was sympathetic, but at the you know same time, he kind of goes crazy and pulls a phaser on. Tilly yeah, he goes too Adira. far. I'm not sure about that choice, but I feel like it shows that you know that there's because you just can't imagine a 24th century Starfleet officer even in a crisis like that, pulling a phaser on the away team from the enterprise, you know, that's just right. I feel like that goes back to what we were saying before though, that they haven't been able to train officers the way that they would. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying that this, even, even this Starfleet isn't Starfleet enough, you know, there's, there's still things, you know, but one of the problems with this, of course, is they want us to feel bad for Nellis dying um, and you know, was there a way to show the issues with him without him pulling a phaser? Because that kind of made him an antagonist. Yeah, that and- made it like, okay, so he's going to die now. <laughs> you know well, what no, I, mean? like, I knew he was going to die as soon as he talked about what he missed from his. Oh, absolutely! As like soon it was, as you say it was like, like a soldier bringing out a picture of his girlfriend. Like it yep, was as just soon as you do that, the most dead. obvious. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, bye bye. Don't get too attached yeah. to that guy. Yeah. Well, and then also like, going back to the whole parallels to like the season two premiere, like as soon as you're a jerk and we've just met you, you're going to die. Because remember, Connolly was like he was an ass. And of course, we knew like he was instantly going to die. But then nobody felt bad about it. Like in that no. one, he no. he died and there was no mourning, which I thought was kind of terrible. And in this yeah. one, like I, I, I was sympathetic to him because it was like this guy who'd obviously been there longer than he intended to be there and was yeah. done and then this crazy thing happened so i kind yeah. of i was with him for all that but then i knew oh yeah he's about to go so yeah and it was also a great you know that whole sequence we learned a lot more about uh, what adira is like this season adira is now uh, an ensign in starfleet uh, they have a job essentially on the ship and i liked how uh, I forget who said it, but they said Adira should go because they know more about this tech, which has brought up the issue of this ship is still full of 23rd century people in the 32nd century. Um, yep. And there should be people on board this ship that are more familiar with the technology and with the, you know, current events. I mean, they've got book, I guess. Um, but uh, I, I really liked 
how Adira was and uh, Blue DeBario, I still think is really just a great addition to this cast. And uh, they just did a great job in this episode. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. It's a great character and Blue's acting is, is on point. Yes. Excellent. And they're doing a good job with the whole, uh, you know, among other people. Now Tilly is kind of a role model for them in the sense that like Tilly's, you know, she's the lieutenant and she's also kind of the smarty who knows a lot of stuff. And so they go over together and it's a good, it's a good lesson like uh, for Tilly. So she's like the leader of this away mission, you know, to start with. And so she gets to, she gets the phaser pulled on her, you know, and it's a big deal. I want to talk about Tilly for a second because I feel like this is, I feel like they're setting up a big arc for her and that right now she seems lost to me. Like she knew, she knew how to take commission. She knew, okay, I'm in charge and she knew how to do that. And there was none of the old uncertainty about that, but she doesn't really know what she wants to do next. She's feeling kind of old instead of young, you know, comment about the Academy Um, Adira has kind of taken over the role of like the young shining star, even down to the talking too much and commenting on it. Yep. And, and Tilly couldn't even answer. Like when, when Nala said like, what are you going to do when you get back? And Adira says, Oh, a bubble bath or whatever. Like Tilly doesn't even have an answer there. So I think she doesn't know who she is really right now. Yeah, I agree. I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with it and, and how they explore what happens when, that has happened to you. You've been promoted too quickly and things didn't go well. And when they all got back from the station at the last moment, she seemed really affected by the fact that Nellis died. And I think some other people died. Yeah. Like, well, that was her, that was her mission to lead initially. Right. So I think she feels like she failed, right. She was hoping to bring everybody home because it was her away mission. One other thing that happened there, too, is when he was pulling the phaser, and this, I think, was actually a bit of a mistake. I wouldn't have written it that way. She didn't even get to solve that problem. Like, Michael says Tilly can handle it, but it's it's the president who gets him to put down the phaser. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Right, which was a good scene for the president. It showed how smart she is and savvy, and she knows the Federation. Um, well, I thought that was great for that character and, and for Tilly, I guess, you know, Tilly did show some diplomacy capability early on when they showed up on the station, you know, kind of settling things down a little bit, but um, there was a little weird thing though, in that after that moment, Michael flying through space in her spacesuit after her worker bee explodes and the exciting she's a stuff, superhero now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Decides in the middle of all this to oh. call the president oh, to yeah. ask her if she was lying, and it's just yeah. like this is what? one of those things where, and especially because there's a great scene at the end, the Kobayashi Maru scene. Mm-hmm. You could have put all that dialogue into that scene. Oh, a hundred percent. That's where it belongs. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. it was good dialogue. It was a conversation worth having. Right, just not in the middle of this crisis. For God's yeah. sake. Right. It just, I don't know. It's its just, a, it was a weird choice, but it did work as part of their relationship, which I think starts off in a great way, meaning there's some nice conflict there. Now we could, I mean, I don't know how long we want to spend on this, the, the nitpicking of how do either of them know the details of the Kobayashi Maru? Because, <laughs> a, you know, the Academy has been closed for 120 years. Uh, Michael went to the Vulcan Science Academy. So, yep. you know, I guess... 
it's book learning. Michael heard it from, you know, because everyone else on board the ship probably went through it. So Tilly told her, drunk one night, all the <laughs> details. Uh, and the president knows because, you know, she's got Kovic and Kovic knows everything. But Michael so, didn't talk about it like someone who'd heard about it. Michael talked about it like someone who's been through problem. it. That's yep, the problem. That's, that's because the problem. I really liked what she said about it. Like if she had gone to Starfleet Academy, it would have been perfect because she talked about how it how it would have affected her, which is to go back and go over it again and again and again in your head because you want to you want to succeed. But it was a weird thing for her to say. This is one of those things the show because it was it's actually a great Star Trek lesson. It was good to apply to Michael because this you know because now she's captain and that's when the Kobayashi Maru really matters, right? Is the types of decisions captains have to make and you know do you let people die? It's just you know this is where the show's willing to plow right through little canon issues and so. I kind of I'll allow it by just creating headcanon reasons for it. But I know that for some fans, they're going to go, wait a minute, that doesn't add up. But right. And it's their own canon. Like it's they created that story. That's but true. she didn't go there. So yeah, they, it's that, not like right. it's not like something that, you know, was in the 90s. And then you go, OK, well, they're just going to act like that didn't matter. But this was their own story. Fair enough. One thing about this episode I'd like to see more humor on the show. I always love funny moments. And, you know, one of the things that the show has done right is made it a lot lighter than it was in season one. There was some funny moments with Book and Mike at the beginning. But what do, what do you guys feel on the humor level? You know, because I'm trying to think of were there any really good gags you liked from this episode? I don't think there were any. Yeah, well, no. I mean, I liked Tilly saying, are you in the middle of a chase? Like suspiciously. To Michael yeah. and Buck, I feel well, like it was it was all yeah. put in that opening scene because all the little moments between you know I love Michael and Buck, and all the little moments between them were just funny. Like they said when he tries to defend her, and she's like Book with just this look. So and then you know they're sort of yelling at each other and bantering, but being really really funny at the same time. So and then after that, there weren't a lot of opportunities for humor after that. No, but they have great chemistry together, so it's always good to have them like off doing something together. Yeah. No, and I and I also really liked that little scene with Tilly and Michael. Also, like I think the personality quirks and the character moments are very strong, and still they're doing them very very well. But there weren't there weren't jokes and gags, unless no, you this... consider a random triple going down the hallway. <laughs> what was oh. that? I, it was a huge triple too. I don't even know what to say. And it was about moving that, very yeah. quickly, and they seemed to like. I, I, I. Just, it felt okay. It felt like Akiva walked in that day. <laughs> it's a, this scene needs a triple. And then just left and went back to the other shows. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was like fine. You know, the the 32nd century has developed a new genetic version of a triple that. You know, it it, it it maybe it does something on the ship. Maybe it's like a Roomba, you know, maybe it's cleaning up. They're not born pregnant. And uh, mm. but yeah. <laughs> OK, I'll give you that for sure. But the, there were a lot of nice new details. Yeah, I feel sorry for Gersha and her team. There were so many new outfits in oh this so episode. Many. Yeah, it was like everybody's got a new outfit. Everybody's got multiple new outfits. So we saw the whole crew in. Dress dress uniforms and new regular uniforms. I like Michael, the dress blues, actually. Yeah. 
There's the new cadet uniforms. Not a huge fan, but, you know. Yeah, they don't look very functional, I would say. No. Right. Michael, of course, has multiple outfits, so she's got the leather. I mean, is that, like, is that... And a, a Starfleet outfit because it's red and it matches her red, or is it a civilian outfit she was just wearing to be less um, imposing? That's what a, I thought it was. Hard to tell. We'll see if she wears it again. You know, so is is that kind of her version of like Picard had his special jacket and stuff? Because yeah, I think it's like her. Yeah, I think it's like her more cash jacket version of something. We'll see on an away mission jacket, you know, kind of thing. Here's a question. Are the uniforms that they are wearing, their kind of primary color uniforms, are those Discovery uniforms or are those new Starfleet? Because at Starfleet HQ, everyone was in dress uniform, so we can't really tell what they wear on a day-to-day basis. But when you go to the station, they had a version, but not the same as the gray uniform from season three. So I they think had the a, grays are just being reused. You know, what but, I mean? it, like they, but they added the... They added a, like a stripe to them or something. So I'm wondering if they're going back to the old, you know, you know, kind of like lower decks. They have their own uniforms, right? So does does the discovery have their own uniforms? Is a big question mark. We don't know. Yeah. Um, well, or at least the whole starships get one, right. support people get another kind of thing. That could be it, and then which is a TOS new, there. That's kind there's of a new, there's a new tactical outfit that becomes a spacesuit. Um, yes. that, that has yeah. lights in it, and and it's easy to change into very very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Always, <laughs> yeah. I think Book had a new outfit, so yeah. So you know, well done on the costume level. I think I, I gotta say, I think the entire, <clears throat> I mean, just about everything looks elevated to me. You know, I think um, I, I was noticing details in like the makeup on some of the aliens that I don't think was there before, you know, just around that I don't think was there before. I really think everybody like stepped up their game and added extra detail. And like this just you could just see there's a lot of money spent. Yeah, that's always been true. But I feel like real, especially now they're spending some some good money. They didn't there. tell us the backstory of Rillick, but her makeup is really nice Yeah, because mm -hmm. we, we know that she's Bajoran human and Cardassian. And, you know, when you get a good look at her, you're like, yeah, that adds up. Oh yeah. It's got all the hallmarks. Um, so yeah, the the production design and the visual effects, I think are as good, if not better than ever on the show. I mean, there's a reason we love those butterfly people and not just because they're called butterfly people. Like that looked spectacular. I think Tunde, uh, who's the supervising, you know, executive producer director, he directed this episode. I think did a great job. I was kind of laughing because he got it. He's famous for spinning the camera around, but because of the gravitational craziness, <laughs> he had he had like an excuse to go crazy with the spinning camera. And I think he did a really good job of, with the pacing uh, of this episode uh, in general. Yeah, there. You know. I with that spinning around that's happened in other episodes, it's distracting. And I didn't feel like anything was distracting here. Right. I didn't notice camera fit. work. I just noticed that it looked great. Yeah. Going into technical stuff, Matt, I don't, re- I don't remember seeing it before. Have we seen that little pod before? No, I think this is yet another thing, you know, just another invented. The thing, book pod, which is the fine. Bo- Oh, the, but where yeah. they were sitting back to back? Yeah, I've never seen that before. I don't know what that was. You know what's so funny is, like, at first I was like, did they just borrow that from, like, the whole Kelpians and Baul? Remember they had little pots like that? I was like, did they borrow that from somewhere? 
So yeah, no, because that's not part. Of, the weird part is they made it sound like that's part of Book's ship. Well, I but think it's not. That, but Book's ship reconfigures itself and smart matter. So I think you can just say you essentially break a connect, piece off. Yeah, break <laughs> a piece of the ship off and turn your. You just. I mean, maybe yeah. they made it that day. They're like, you know, why don't we create a little pod out of the ship? And I'm like, sure, yeah. why not? I mean, that it, we're, we're getting into what can, smart matter isn't just cool looking panels. You know, right. It it should be able to do all sorts of cool stuff. And so I yeah, think this yeah. is a, this is an example of that. So if that's the case, like shouldn't book ship now have a little chunk missing, you know, it's like, it doesn't. <laughs> come, so we have not talked about Saru yet. Oh yeah. That's a, like a whole other mini episode is happening. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? There really is like a whole, yeah. Separate. It looked beautiful, right. The, with the oh, Baul yeah. and, and the Kelpians together and their little underground council chambers and Saru's regarded it this as this great elder because we know elders are revered in their society because of course you know going back to the old days people died very young. didn't get old yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's as old as you get right he's the oldest one of them all technically although technically Sukal yeah. is actually over 100 years old at this point right yeah that's right he would be yeah Bill Irwin I thought was fantastic I liked the first scene where Saru basically reminds the Kelpians um, and the Baul, uh, who seem very kind of, you know, insular, that they're part of a larger galaxy and part of yes. the family. Because I guess they had joined the Federation, but they're no longer part of the Federation at this point. And he's kind of trying to talk them back into joining, I guess. I thought that that part was very good. Like, that was my favorite part of the whole yeah, yeah it's was very definitely inspiring. the way he chose to illustrate it. I mean, I, ca- I did have a moment of like, oh, I guess he planned his little PowerPoint presentation ahead of time. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I thought it was very effective, you know, well-chosen words, well-chosen images, thematic to Star Trek. So that particular part of it, I did like a lot. I did feel like his scene with Sukal, like for me, and even, even some of the stuff before that was on Kaminar, Everybody was, it was almost like everybody was too direct, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't get a sense of any personalities of any of the other Kelpians because they were just saying these sort of generic lines. And I felt like his conversation with Sukal, again, could have been, it didn't feel so much like character. It felt like, okay, we need everybody to know these things. Yeah. And then also we need Saru to basically decide to go back to the discovery at some right. point. So Which is great because gotta... Saru is at his best, I think, when he's with humans and when he's the alien. That's right. when he's a lot of fun. But I just felt like they could have done far be it from me to say I could do it better because I don't know that I could. But another pass where, yes, that's the intention of what they want to say, but they may maybe everybody couldn't shouldn't be quite so direct. They need to get Saru back on the ship. They needed to show Sukal he's no longer a, a man-child, and he literally gives him permission to leave. Yeah. Um, it did the job. I guess I just wanted more show, don't tell. And it was all telltale. Yeah, about. it's really too bad that they're... Like, there's the whole thing of, like, oh, well, he's got friends now. And it's like, okay, could we see that for a minute first? Yes, you know what yes. I mean? Like, could, could, could a group of people sort of come to tell Saru it's okay to leave could you know what I mean it's like something I don't know I don't know how you do it but I know they yeah. were trying to be efficient time-wise but yeah I would have liked yeah, to have seen that. something rather than just have everybody say it all but still I'm excited that Saru's going back I can't wait till he gets back yes that is always good to have Saru back with Michael 
that relationship. Do you think that there was a, I'm going to totally change subjects, some a, a sort of environmental message with the president. The president talked about new technologies and how they want to stop relying on dilithium because the solution to let the burn and everything was to find more dilithium. Because uh, uh, yeah. season, season three was the kind of post-global warming, you know, hellscape. But is the solution out of that hellscape to just find a lot of new oil? Right. It's, yeah, it's totally fossil fuels. Yeah, yeah. they're definitely. Yeah, I thought you know. so. Because she mentioned um, something called a pathway drive. Yeah. So I'm wondering where that all, I don't know. But was it pathway it, or pathfinder? She said pathway. Because the Chris pathfinder was was related to Voyager. So it just made me think like, oh, is there like, did they find something, you know, in the archives or was it from... It'd just be cool to have, like, you know, oh, it's some random Delta Quadrant, like, technology that, that they've come across in the last, you know, 300 years or whatever. It could be related to that. But it was, yeah. so the Voyager is getting some new drive, and they showed That's it. That's right, it is. Yeah. In the Archer. <laughs> it, was, it, it was kind of <laughs> a Traducan of, um, you yeah. know. <laughs> Traducan <references>. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, you know, they had Archer's theme running. It was a little, a little. Yeah. They yeah. Archer's theme. I gotta say, I, I, I'm so, I'm a sap. It did actually hit me in the feels when they did it, even though it's totally manipulative. I was like, oh, okay, they got me. It worked. <laughs> but I feel like there's hopefully that that was that, that they're going somewhere with that. That there is some kind of new replacement of warp drive. Which, if you kind of think about it, it's like it's been a long time since Zephyr Cochran. You should have something better now, right? So, yeah. so something that's not a spore drive and not a warp drive a right. a third thing and i you know and now if you start wanting to put all the pieces together <laughs> there is the thing on prodigy right so prodigy is yeah. introducing some kind of new drive technology and it's possible that these are related yeah i did i've had a moment of that of thinking oh it's like the oh wait they're not supposed to take place at the same time but I had a moment of thinking there was a correlation. Right. But the nice part is, since these guys are all now having little uh, get-togethers about, you know, so the head writers are all communicating, there can be some sort of synergy. So who knows, right? Like, maybe they could be like, oh, we'll pull that up and say, oh, this was abandoned, but we're going to redevelop it. You know, who knows, right? They could be like, oh, yeah, there was this thing that was attempted in the late 24th century. We're giving it another go with all that we've learned since then. You know, could be, yeah, could be. Who knows? I mean, they don't necessarily do things that closely, but just like it could be, you know. So, are there any other character bits, moments, little details that jumped out at you guys of good, bad, indifferent? I, I still have a hard time caring about Gray, but that's sort of yeah. true. Always true, unfortunately. I mean, the one thing I noticed about Michael, like. And this started to happen last season, too, obviously. Like, I thought that I would like her less when she was less tormented, because I really like Tormented Michael. But I'm liking this one, too. It is much better, I think. And I still feel like she plays multiple levels of everything. Like, I think Sonequa does a really good job of having a lot going on in her mind while she's saying things. I mean, it's like the opposite of what I'm complaining about with Suko and Saru. Like, she says things, and then you can tell that there's a lot spinning in her head at the same time. Yeah, And so yeah. I, I like this Michael a lot. Me too. This is, this is a Michael who's a lot 
better off, right? Like she's relieved of a lot of things, but, uh, and I mean like kind of emotional baggage. She still has a lot of weight on her shoulders because we've talked about the savior complex and things like that, but it's different. It's a different weight. But she's not, you know, she's kind of gone through the looking glass, literally. <laughs> Sonequa herself is like that she's kind of beyond all of her fears and all of her anxieties and is 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 also, you know, not being forced to decide whether she could have a boyfriend or be captain. That You know, she's just kind of saying yes to life, as it were. I mean, I really liked how she was as captain until she decided to get into the worker bee. She was, you know, the way she was working with the crew and, you know, bouncing ideas off each other and all that. It was all good captaining stuff. And she seemed to be fully in command. I am looking forward to where that all leads the season. I think in general, this episode was a very strong opener in introducing kind of what we see as both thematically and the story wise, you know, we didn't learn a lot about the anomaly. We kind of barely saw it. Right. Um, right. We, we certainly saw the effect of it because it destroyed Quaid John, but we don't know anything about it, but you know, we've introduced the Federation. We've introduced Michael as captain in a good way. Um, and there's places for all of these things to go. So a great season opener. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It did exactly what it was supposed to as a, as a, opener for a season exciting fun well made a few things that you go why did you do that but <laughs> but not enough of those where you don't enjoy the episode right. right right yeah i would agree and it leaves it leaves you looking forward to what's coming next too i think because it's also there's yeah. a lot of setup there's a whole lot of yeah. setup not just in terms of the big story but also in terms of various individual characters right so my yeah. interest is peaked it's like I've opened up the book and I'm ready for whatever they're going to put in front of me for now. The book. <laughs> I did get a yeah. wink. He did wink. I was happy. That's right. He did wink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David Ajala is really, he's just great, isn't he's, he? I mean, come on. He's fantastic. Yeah. He's great. <laughs> All right. So that's it for Star Trek Discovery, episode 401, Kobayashi Maru. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Yes. Thank you, guys. So that was our review of Star Trek Discovery with Matt, who has left us now to deal with Prodigy on our own. So just a little bit. It's not even Prodigy news. It's really just a reminder that the show goes on hiatus after this episode. And they're back on January 6th with 15 more episodes for the season. But only five of those are going to run in January to February. Then there's going to be another hiatus for we don't know how long until sometime later in the year for the final 10 episodes of season one. I think I'm going to be in some serious withdrawal because I've been using this show as a mood booster. Speaking of the fact that we, we have five episodes jumping into terror firma, a cute episode title, by the way. Yes. It now feels like these five episodes are a, a nice little package to set up the show. So I'm glad certain things happened in this episode before we went on hiatus. Things that I I thought they might have drawn out further into the season, actually. What are you talking about specifically? Because I have some similar thoughts. Well, there's two things. The Gwyn pivot, which we knew was coming, and the revealing of the what that in the engine is that we all kind of knew what it was, but they finally, you know, said, Okay, this is what it is. I agree with you. I thought the timing was just right. It was time to get to those things. And I wasn't, I thought the Gwyn thing for sure was going to go longer. And I was 
I not I love the way that it played out, and I was glad that they got there. It feels like she's now on board with the yeah, team. Yeah, I mean, Dal actually says it. He says, you're with us now. And he was the last convert because he's the one who was having some jealousy issues and having a hard time with including her. Janeway also said something interesting, which is she was glad to have the entire crew together. Like, suddenly she's on Team Gwyn. When did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because the last time she saw Gwen, things were not going well between right. the two of them, you know, so, but there's something, but there was something subtle about that as if she, she was saying it as if this was her plan all along. Right. right? Like she knew it. She knew it was going to happen. Yeah. It's She's- it's always curious what Janeway knows and doesn't know. And actually this episode we learned, I mean, there was a good episode for Janeway's character. But we also learned some kind of interesting technical things about Janeway. Like what? That she could only control, quote, non-essential systems. We, which we knew, but we definitely got a, a an example-based <laughs> explanation of what's what and, and what she can do there. Well, and she was unaware of the gravimetrical protostar containment system. Right. She only found out about it because it was drawing power. Now, why no one noticed something drawing 20% of the ship's power until this week? We're just going to, you know, pretend we... That didn't happen because suddenly Pog is noticing it. Everyone's like, oh, what's this thing? It's like, okay, so fine. (laughs) But it is interesting that she was completely unaware of part of the ship. And we wonder what else is she unaware? It's possible there's other systems on the ship she has no knowledge of. Well, for sure. And they do make a point of saying that she can only do, she can't access high priority systems across the board. Now, if you're not a Star Trek fan, you probably don't notice this, but any Star Trek fan was probably wondering why during this entire planetary thing, but especially at the end, Janeway never said, oh, we should use the transporter. Yeah, we have this Uh, cool thing. (laughs) And it's obvious the show is, it's for new audiences and they aren't trying to overwhelm us with Trek technology. So, you know, it's like we could only introduce one new Trek thing a week. It's like... You know, we did the replicators, and this week we have the engine itself and the little bots that, that clean the ship, apparently. Um, <laughs> the question is, does Janeway know about the transporters and just can't control them? Or does she not even know they exist? But, I mean, we're assuming that the ship has transporters. Because every ship has always had them. Yeah, like since the beginning. I mean, literally mm-hmm. since the beginning. Yep. Um, since both beginnings, depending on your point of view of the beginning. You know? uh, so, and I would also say that a, a, even a completely non-Trek audience knows what a transporter is. It's part of our main, you know, it's part of our pop culture. It's part of our culture. Now, of course, there actually was a mention of a transporter because the um, diviner says, beam me down. But we don't see him beam down and it was almost subtle, but it does show he's where of transporters. Yeah, I think there's there's just got to be a very specific reason and a way that they plan to bring it in. Because obviously they exist. We're not going to pretend that there are no transporters in this world. Yeah. But but like literally dangling out of the ship on a rope, you're like, really? <laughs> really? I mean, come on. I know, but it was such a good scene. But yes, I agree. I mean, that's that was I I was like, why is nobody telling anybody about the transporters? It just shows that there's that there's still a bit of a mystery to Janeway herself. You know, we still don't know how much she knows about the crew and or the fact that they're not really a crew and all that kind of stuff. So 
I like that she just talks like, you know, the real Janeway. Like she'll say, you know, this ship is about to be the planet's main course, which was such a Janeway-esque kind of observation. And then, you know, figures out a plan because she goes, what would the real Janeway do? (laughs) She would clean house. Yeah. It's quite the weird kind of existential thing of here's (laughs) this hologram trying to imagine what the real person they are based off of would do like it, you know, this, this gets to the issues of is Jane is hologram Janeway a person in the right. fullest sense of the word. Like, you know, Kate Mulgrew would say yes, but I'm curious what the showrunners would say. They'd probably say yes too, I guess. It's a tough one. I mean, the question was raised on Voyager with the doctor and raised in a lot of different episodes with looking at different sides of that issue it's a big one but the doctor was almost an accident right so are is starfleet building in um sentient slaves into their ships is right such, that's you know? that's a big that, question yeah <laughs> i mean she's happy to be there although she's sad she can't leave the ship it is kind of you know it, it is a, an ethical question of are you building sentient conscious alive beings uh, into your ship systems now that you know, because now that Starfleet kind of knows how to do it, are they doing it on purpose, or is it just a program? But it's a pretty darn sophisticated program. That's it for sure. is. It is a pretty darn sophisticated program. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this episode was. I thought last episode was a bit scary, but this one was even scarier. Oh yeah, no. Well, I mean, I don't know. Scary Janeway with vines was pretty scary for me. <laughs> But what was also dark, it was literally darker and they were, you know, going through the woods and the giant, um, oh, what are those robots from the, you know, they imagined the robot from, um, the asteroid, but I forget what they're called now. Oh, those, oh, search, no, not searchers, something. Whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, but they'd met, yeah, the, the giant version of that and they brought back. Dreadnought, who himself is definitely very scary, although he he, de- he looks way too General Grievous. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just too much. But he is kind of terrifying because he seems to be able to turn into all kinds of horrifying things. <laughs> just very intimidating. Although I have to say, considering that they have Jimmy Simpson doing the voice, I keep expecting sort of more interesting dialogue from him because Jimmy Simpson is such a quirky actor. Yeah, and then yeah. and so far, Dreadnought's been very straightforward. Like the coolest thing about him has been his body, what he can do, and not so much what he says. So I'm hoping there's more. I assume there's more coming from him that will surprise us. The big thing about this episode that I liked the most, just from sort of a more like an overview perspective, I thought the rhythm of it was great. Like we had these moments. It was like riding the waves where one moment they'd be up and it would be like a quieter moment and then super super dangerous scary scary oh no is it all over and then a sort of quieter moment and then i thought the exact same thing was happening with gwyn and dal who were flip-flop last week i talked about them being on these parallel paths that were crisscrossing a little bit and this time it was like they were weaving in and out as he liked her didn't like her like her didn't like her she was mad she wasn't and then finally the paths came together at the end so i thought that the whole Rhythm of the episode and the rhythm of their relationship matched up really nicely. I'm glad they gave this episode a, into a two-parter because it allowed 
great moments, like the kind of quiet scene on the, first of all, it was cool that it was a Klingon bird of prey, but that isn't why it mattered. What was cool about it was that they had a moment together and they could again bond over the stars. And, and yet that became a, one of those aha Star Trek moments, which is classic Star Trek, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, as a side note, is this going to be running gag? I'm not sure it's working for me, by the way, how she doesn't understand a word. So she thinks stars are constipations. Yeah, I thought that was just, yeah, that was a little clunky to me. Very clunky. And I, yeah. you know, it's like, is this going to, you know, I don't know. But is that, again, I keep reminding myself it's a kid's show. So when we, when you get a chance, we, uh, sadly, we do not have David and Annie this week. Um, but when you get a chance and you show them this episode, I would like to see what they thought of that. Yeah. But the last time they did that, it didn't work. And I, you know, I don't think it will either. I just, I don't, I'm not sure what that thing is. <laughs> but the whole scene was great. They allowed time for the pivot to breathe. And what I'm really glad about the, the Gwyn pivot was that, and I brought this up last week of, is she not going to pivot and tell her father um betrays her rejects yeah which you kind of knew was coming and that did come but she pivoted or at least started to before he betrayed her right and then you know kind of the full pivot came uh, especially when she engaged the protostar because again she shows that she knows what she's doing on that bridge whereas everyone else is just mashing buttons until something happens I mean, um, I thought across the board there were times she just she's a thinker and she evaluates situations. And the fact she showed herself as a leader in ways that obviously Dal isn't going to like, but I guess ultimately was grateful for. But she looks at what she goes, oh, the phasers aren't working and immediately comes up with a different plan. And when it was time to take a risk like, oh, there's a cliff, she led the charge. So um, I think we're going to maybe have some conflict over who's in charge. Well, because the other kids were very quick to be on Team Gwyn, right? So you could imagine how she can win them over fairly easily. Right. Um, and yeah. So Dahl's going to have to step up and stop, you know, and, and really be a leader. Stop being so impulsive and selfish and trying to prove something. That's the lesson we know he's going to learn over time. Because he's still just to be the guy in charge. Well, oh, it's just the wind. Like he's not saying that because he thinks it's just the wind. He's saying that because he wants to be the guy who knows things. He did do a supplemental captain's log. So he is, yeah. you know, trying. But I was like, so was he, was he like joking or was he literally recording it into his tricorder? Like, was he, is, was he really trying to be captain-y? So I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Getting back to that moment with the diviner, there was a subtle thing, but I think it's important. When he saw the protostar, or what he thought was the protostar, he called it... My salvation. Yeah. Yeah. Noted. Yeah. That means something. <laughs> There's a reason the ship is so important to him beyond that it's just a really cool ship. It's something that he needs to get somewhere, I assume. And it's the only way he could get there. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, his ship is pretty big and scary yes for sure and definitely that that chase scene was taken right out of star trek into darkness where they were in the warp tunnel and it was coming up behind them 
and uh, you know, like it or not, like that movie. That was a you know, I think a great scene, and this was a uh, you know, some nice CGI for sure. The the whole space action. Yeah, yeah, it looked good, and was tense and had lots of good energy to it. And we we, we learned a a weird thing about Zero this episode. What did we learn about Zero? You could use them as a flashlight. Oh my God, his line when <laughs> when that happened. <laughs> And he gets grabbed and then he says, I don't know how to feel in this moment, but I'm happy to help. Like, it's so, they're so funny when they, all those lines that Zero gets and all those moments of glee and fascination when something strange is happening are just great. It was nice that they were the one to put the pieces together and say, the engine is a protostar. Right. Because it was their fascination that got them trapped in the maze. So... They got a nice little payoff for that in the yep. end. And each, and, and although it was kind of obvious to us, I, it, there was a nice little moment where each of the kids kind of acknowledged their own little issue. And of course, um, I mean, Jank and Pog was complaining about eating mud, but the heartbreaking one was, of course, Rock Talk. Yeah, but the heartbreaking one is also Dal. Like, I like that because that was just a, a nice way to get it's like a refresher. Oh, if you don't remember what happened last week and a nice way to make the point about what each of their things were by having them talk about it that way. And then having, you know, Dal gets intruded upon because Zero's just saying what's in Dal's mind, which soon is going to become a big problem, I think. <laughs> but that was heartbreaking too. Yeah, but Rock saying she loved the little cute furry things because they were not afraid of how she looked it shows that she has body issues i guess is what i think what they're getting into well it's just that she's look she knows she looks scary and she's a sweetheart so yeah. but she also you know i thought they they made that one a little easier mitigated a little by then murph is right there and loves her so <laughs> they made they, they they added a nice moment to that yeah <laughs> murph didn't get to do any oddly helpful thing this episode except be cute and cuddly and was there to sort of make them sympathetic towards Gwyn for sure I didn't fully understand is Zero said that it wasn't a planet which was uh, a Jankum referred to as a murder planet and uh, Rock Talk wanted to call Larry that was great Uh so those were my two. My favorite line was, who's laughing and breathing now? Nice and toasty on murder planet, which was Bank and Pog. And then Rock Talk saying, can we call it Larry? Because I've actually been doing that for years, but I use the name Harvey. But whenever I name anything, I do like anyway. But <laughs> sorry. How did no one notice it wasn't a planet? It was just a giant organism. More mm-hmm. mysteries of the murder planet, which will never be answered, because I assume we're off to a very far off. Oh, you know, th- that that's the big question of if they are going at ludicrous speed to bring in a little space balls, and they are literally off the map, according to Dreadnought. Right. How far are they going? It's a good question. And we're not going to find out till January. I mean, this gets back to the thing where Janeway was saying what, you know, although... Again, she suggested setting a course of the Federation, not even knowing this thing existed earlier on, um, right. just to go go back and warp. With this thing, you know, they could probably be at uh, Federation HQ in uh, in a day. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see how fast it goes. Yeah, but obviously they're not going in that direction. Right. 
I mean, this brings up the bigger issue of now that they, you know, they've kind of, their goal is to not be, you know, to be away from the diviner, but if not the Federation, then where, like what, you know, now everyone's on the team. They know that the ship has, has the special engine, you know, now what that's, that's kind of my big question for the show is everyone's friendly now, but what is their mission? What is their goal in life? Right, which I think will be to go find the Federation. You know, it was, well, but, that's, it was, but that's easy, right? Well, it's just... not. Well, it's easy if nothing happens along the way. But we don't know how fast it's going, and we don't know what's going to happen along the way. It would still take them a long time to get there. I mean, less than we we know it's less than seventy years, but you know, <laughs> they're still pretty far away. But this super drive, um, we need to know more about the super drive. Because they, you know, according to Aaron Watke, they are on the border of the Beta Quadrant and the Delta Quadrant, I right. think. Yeah. So they're not that far saying. away. They could be in Klingon space in a day. I know I'm, I'm, I'm being nerdy, but. Uh, well, that's what are... we do here at the All Access Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. But zooming out, I really liked the episode. You're right. It was great pacing. It, you know. And yet had really nice character moments, especially for Gwyn and Dal, which I think are kind of the main points of the episode. Um, and we start to kind of sense that a little bit more about the Diviner. He's not pure evil, although what he did with Gwyn was not cool. It seems like there's something really compelling him, the salvation thing. Right. And we know that that he said he and Gwyn were the last of their species. So it's got to be tied into that. Yeah, I also want to add, I thought it was a good episode for Rock Talk because not only was she her usual cute, delightful self, but she was really useful to them. Like she has, I think, proven her worth. Like she's the one who helped shelter them and hide them from Dreadnought. After they find the place, I think, where they take shelter for a while, they say, good thinking kid to to rock talk and she has the strength that they obviously really need for the you know the the pulling the transporter free rope (laughs) she (laughs) is the transporter essentially she is yeah so i think she's proven that she they need her they need her a lot and yet she's still such a little girl because when they reveal that the engine (laughs) is a protostar she's She's like, squee! She's so excited. A baby star! She's so excited. <laughs> I have a question for you. So when Janeway opened the doors and we thought, and the Diviner was about to go into the ship, did you think that she was going to come face to face with the Diviner? No. I was going to ask you this as well. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, maybe I'm too jaded or I've watched too many things, but it just, it felt too obvious that this was obviously a fake out. Well, then that brings me to my next question. Were you a little disappointed? No, because I liked that the Diviner was getting fooled by the planet. So I, I like that. But for a minute, I was just for just a moment, I was disappointed because I wanted to see Janeway and the Diviner together. I was very curious about that. Although I was like, phew, when I saw who it was. Well, I think we'll we'll get that, We'll you know. They've got, we've got 35 like a, episodes. It was like a tease. It was, you know, it's like, oh, wow. Imagine if the, oh, they're not. Okay. Well, that's good. 
Yeah, and I did like him being fooled. And then he was surprisingly agile once he was caught by the planet. He's suddenly like jumping out like a Marvel superhero. Yeah, how frail he is <laughs> varies quite a bit. I guess the suit he's wearing, you know, gives him vitamins or something. Yeah, because episode one Diviner was, you know, could barely move and had to live in a tank. And now he's. Yeah, Dal know, made some joke about like a guy in a tank. <laughs> yeah. They took some liberties with that, but the suit is like, we assume it's all the suit. It's just a power suit of some right. sort. It's, he's like right. Iron Man, basically. <laughs> Anything else about this episode? Any predictions about what we're going to see in episode six? No, because I do, I do think you're right. I think it's, we were on to the next chapter. So yeah. I think we're going to bring in some new stuff. And maybe, so people are forgetting about this, but... If you remember before the show started, the like like about a week before the show started or whatever, they announced, oh yeah, you know, we have all these other cast members are part of the show, including Robert Beltran, right? Yes. Jason Alexander. Jamil so they're all Jamil, David Diggs. Yeah. Who are all, you know, because he's the he's the captain of some ship and they're all you know, Starfleet officers. So, you know, you may be right. I think they're going to go somewhere and I think there's going to be elements of Starfleet wherever they go. Question is, when do we meet the, the, them? Is that a season finale thing, or is that going to be introduced in the next block earlier on? Yeah, I would think it would be earlier, because you wouldn't announce them, and then they'd only be in the finale. But I think they aren't going to be in the Federation. I think they're going to find the USS Voyager under um, Captain Chakotay, who's in the Delta Quadrant now. So, and he'll be kind of a step towards the Federation in a way, but they won't be back in the Federation. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be Voyager, but we'll see. Well, it is in the books, right? They gave him the ship. So why not? Why not be Voyager? Or is it too, is that too fan servicey? Well, it just seems weird that he would have Voyager somehow. I don't know. What else are you going to do? with? I the always ship? think of, I think of him on a smaller ship, you know, <laughs> Well, because of his little Maki ship? Yeah, a little bit. Well, just because I feel like he's more of like a, you know, take action, not run a big organization kind of guy. Well, to be honest, if you're going to send a ship into the Delta Quadrant on its own, you'd send a huge ship, at least full of supplies and extra shuttles. Yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I'm still trying to figure out how he factors in. Well, we'll see. Yeah. All right. All right. That's basically it for an extended version of All Access Star Trek with <laughs> two whole episodes to review. Yes. Next week, we will only have an episode of Discovery to review. See you next Friday. <laughs>